Hello, everybody. Uh, it is Chris and Dan. We are back and excited to be back for season three of A Father's Love Healing Through Heartache. Chris Laparty, it's been a long time. Welcome back, my friend. Hello, brother. How are you? Good to see you, as always, and uh, glad to be doing this again. I know uh, we always take the summer off because the summers get pretty busy, and it, I was glad that we decided to keep going with this and press forward again. Yeah, Chris and I have talked numerous times about, um, again, just how helpful this podcast is for us talking to each other, and uh, we get some pretty good feedback from other people that it's helping, but uh, we notice it over summertime when we're not talking as much that our uh, steps to healing are not as uh, strong, are they? Yeah, not as robust, that's for sure. So, so uh, uh, you know, it's, it's great to be able to work together as a team again, talk about it, get our feelings out there, and hopefully help some other people going through grief and uh, give them some support that they need as well. Absolutely. And so Chris and I, we started this, again, this is our third season doing this podcast. Um, we started it after uh, we actually met on Facebook on a dad's grief page, I believe it was, where um, I was looking just looking through things and I I'm about a year and a half into this farther than Chris is and he made a post or a comment on on Facebook one night and I one of the things that I do is try to reach out to fellow dads who have lost especially those who have lost uh, boys in the 7 to 12 age range and I reached out to Chris and I just offered hey man if you ever need to talk yell whatever I'm here and Chris responded, and um, if I remember right, his first response was thank you, and then if I remember right, about an hour later, I got the message, and he's and he just felt comfortable uh, venting. So, Chris, do you remember that and want to share anything? Yeah, I, mean, I, I do. I do remember that. It was uh, it was definitely on that Facebook group, a dad's grief group, and uh, I think what ended up kind of tying us together is we were both from Western New York and we had that commonality of our boys were around the same age. Um, we were both from Western New York, but not living there anymore. And it, it's just kind of how I headed off in terms of, you know, early in grief, when you lose a child, you don't know who to turn to. It's really hard because not a lot of people have dealt with it. Or if they have dealt with it, they don't want to talk about it or something like that. So having Dan kind of come to my rescue at that time and give me his support, tell me what he did to help get him through those first year and a half really was, uh, it helped me tremendously. And now that's Dan and mine's mission. We, we keep trying to do that. We look for people online. We try to help them. We reach out to them and uh, just offer that support. And uh, But, yeah, that's basically how it went down. Yeah. And I remember when Jameson first passed, we were scouring every resource we could. And every every group we found on Facebook seemed to have a large number of people who were saying that they were 20 years in and they still couldn't get out of bed. And that immediately struck both Erica and myself as um, just totally unhealthy that, yes, this is an impossibly hard journey that we're on and it will never end. But if we're not taking steps to healing every day, then we're not, I mean, we're just not healthy in so many ways. And uh, so, yeah, I like to reach out to, to fellow dads and if I can help them in any way, I'm, I'm honored to do so. And yeah, like Chris just said, that's our, one of our missions and one of our ways that we're trying to turn the most awful experience that we've had in our lives into something with at least a little bit of positive. Yeah, in these difficult days uh, with everything going on in the world, it's real easy to get down and depressed right away and losing a child just makes it even worse. And, you know, us having that opportunity to share our experiences to hopefully help another dad yeah, I think it's made a difference. I've had some dads reach out to me and uh, they've really shown their appreciation for both the podcast and for the advice we've given them. So, um, but 
you know, we're still dealing with our own grief as well, right, Dan? I mean, this is still, it's an everyday battle. There, it's never going to go away completely. It's always going to be um, a wound that won't heal. And that's part of the reason why we want to do these podcasts so we can talk, give people, dads, the opportunity to come on to our podcast and tell us their grief story if they want, and hopefully begin some healing process for them. Absolutely. And yeah, um, so yeah, it's just, that's where we began and it does, it helps us, but it's, Chris and I both pray that if we can help one other person through their grief, um, but also if we can help maybe one other person who's not grieving, but walking alongside somebody who's grieving, it's an honor for us to try to do that while we're dealing with our own grief. So um, with that, um, we, we have, uh, like we said, this is our third season. We, we encourage everybody who's joining us for the first time or one of our newer viewers from last season, we encourage you to go to our YouTube channel and find A Father's Love Healing Through Heartache, find the whole playlist, and go back and listen. Uh, we guarantee you that you're going to hear us cry a lot. Uh, you're going to hear us get angry a lot. You're going to hear us be um, uh, just with our memories of our boys. Uh, we, we are going to hear us laugh. You've, you hear every emotion possible if you listen to enough of our episodes. Uh, we are real. We are raw. We don't hide anything. And we want that to be an encouragement to anybody else that's listening that, yep, this is hard. But you, you need to walk the journey with somebody else that you can be open and real and honest with. Um, and they're going to stay by your side the whole time. Yeah, I mean, having a partner in crime with this, it's, it's so vital because, uh, you know, a lot of people will say, well, why not lean on your spouse? Well, your spouse is in just as much pain as you are. And when you're dealing with grief like this, grief of a loss of a child, you, you can't really lean on your spouse because of the grief and sadness there. And so you can find, um, I don't want to say it's a mentor, but it's a guide, you know, someone that can guide you through your feelings, your emotions, let you vent when you need to. Boy, it makes such a difference. You know, Dan was that person for me. Um, I'm, I know Dan has helped numerous other dads going through the grief process. Um, and it, it works. I mean, it, it's, I'm not going to say I'm healed, but I feel better. I can get through the day. I'm not going to say I'm not sad, but I feel like I'm a productive member of society again. And, um, yeah, that's just kind of how it goes. So, but, but Dan, with, with us being gone for the summer and maybe having some new listeners, maybe we should run through our stories real quick in case this is some people's first time hearing us and they can kind of hear how everything went down. I'll throw it to you to tell your story. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, this is going to be the super condensed version of it. Um, but again, yeah, we want to get everybody caught up with where we're coming from. So my son Jameson passed away in February 2019. So we're, um, I guess, quickly approaching four years now. He came home after school one day, seemingly totally healthy. He played basketball outside with his younger brother Reese for about two hours. They did nothing but have fun together. He uh, came in, ate dinner, seemingly totally healthy. He went to bed, seemingly totally healthy. And about an hour later, he was in our room throwing up and uh, just hysterically crying, worried that he had the flu. And all symptoms that we saw were flu symptoms. So we just made that assumption. And I stayed with him all night. We set up the couch and a, a beanbag in the living room so that he and I could try to sleep out there and Erica could actually sleep in the room. And I don't think either one of us slept another wink the entire night. He was just so uncomfortable tossing and turning. And I was just so worried about him just trying to figure out something I could do to help my boy. And he... Um, about five in the morning, he told me that he wanted to go into his bedroom to sleep. And so we started walking into his bedroom and he just collapsed on his knees in, on the living room floor. And he was conscious and everything and, and 
kind of upright, but he was too weak to walk. So I picked him up and carried him into the body, and he was pretty limp, very weak. And I put him into his bed. And all night long, I had been wondering, should we take him to the hospital just in case? But then it's like, I mean, it's flu. They're going to they're gonna hear the symptoms, and they're going to send us home with the flu. So why bother? And I still, to this day, even after his passing, believe that they would have sent him home for the flu. Uh, so I, I had that thought again, but I put him in his bed. And after a few more minutes, he just... He just looked over at me and said, Dad, I can't sleep with you in this room. And um, so I'm like, okay, bud. And I went into our bed. Erica came a few minutes later, came in to check on him. And uh, I don't know for sure because I wasn't there. But from what she told me, she kind of just hugged him a little bit, uh, rubbed his back a little bit, and then I think kissed him goodnight again and, and sat him up in his bed against his wall and then a few minutes later I decided to go in and check on him again and I found him against that wall his eyes were already rolled back and uh, I think I knew immediately that he was gone but I, I pulled him out of bed I started CPR on him Erica called 911 and uh, we have the first guy that was at our house lives a quarter of a mile down the road across the street, not far at all. He was there incredibly fast. Uh, but he came in, saw that Jameson was already blue, and I think he did like three or four compressions. And then I don't know if I looked up to talk to Erica or looked away, whatever, but but I, next thing I knew, I looked down and he was gone. Uh, he had already picked Jameson up and he was already in the ambulance. Uh, so the guy knew that it was bad. Uh, so we got him to the hospital, and we waited in the waiting room for maybe 30 minutes, maybe 45 minutes, and then in walked three people. And again, I, I think I just I think I knew right away that he was already dead when I found him in his bed. Um, and nothing in that hour gave me any reason to believe otherwise. And um, just sitting in that room for what seemed like a really long time certainly didn't change my thoughts. And then when I saw three of them walk in, you know, I mean, you just know. And sure enough, they, they told us they did everything they could, but they couldn't save him. And uh, so we, uh, we went into his room and said his goodbye, said our goodbyes. And um, the, the whole situation, I don't really have regrets. Uh, again, I think if we had taken him to the hospital, I'm, I'm certain they would have kicked us out and sent us home. That wouldn't have done anything. My, my only real regret is that we live in a small town and uh, we, we're, we believe in organ donation. So when we were saying our goodbye to Jameson, we were very aware that we couldn't take too long. And so we called the, the doctor in and told him, like, yeah, we want his organs donated, um, and because of that, we're going to leave. And so you can do what you need to and save the organs. And he had told us that we needed to have an autopsy. I think it was kind of standard procedure when a kid dies and making sure that there wasn't child abuse and that we didn't beat him to death, things like that, which it's kind of lousy to have that planted in your mind that they, they think I actually beat my child to death, but understandable in today's world. Um, but it broke my heart. I think it was the next night when they called and told us the autopsy results came back and, and what he had passed away from, which uh, turned out to be a birth defect that, for whatever reason, took nine and a half years to take him. But I asked, at that time, I asked, what about his organs? What organs could you save? And, and he the doctor told me we couldn't save any because they didn't have a refrigerated car. And that that's my only real regret is that I didn't know any better to really fight. Like, no, I mean, sorry, screw the autopsy or screw it for a day or two. We want his organs donated, so find a refrigerated car if that's what it is. But let's let his body try to help people and... 
so I, I feel robbed on that. But everything else is, it is what it is. And that's, that's our story in a nutshell. Yeah, thanks for sharing, Dan. I know, I know how hard it was. I had, I was holding back some tears just listening to it again. Every time I hear your story, it, it, it kills me. Uh, the part that always is hardest for me to listen to is when, uh, I think when Erica goes back in there for me, I, for some reason, always picture that in my mind her, you know, probably being a real gentle mother, taking care of him. And, um, yeah, so I'm, I'm of course, extremely sorry that, that you and your family have gone to go, had to go through this, man. It's, it, it feels unfair, I'm sure. Just like it feels unfair to me. So, um, yeah. but yeah, let me tell you my story about Mason. Um, so Mason was born uh, November 16th, 2012, and he passed away on May 16th of 2020. Uh, if you remember 2020, it was kind of a crazy year with COVID, right? And May was pretty much the height of all the craziness going on. Um, Mason had a little sniffle and a little cough, but nothing that I would ever be concerned about as a dad with four boys. Uh, I had seen my fair share of illnesses run through our house and, um, you know, I wasn't super concerned. Maybe I should have been. I was just getting over pneumonia myself, but... I wasn't for some reason. He seemed totally fine. He was still playing outside, um, still being as normal of a kid post-COVID as he could, having fun. Uh, I did try to make him a doctor's appointment, but because of COVID, no doctor would see him. I couldn't take him into any hospital. Well, I could have taken him to the ER, but like Dan, they would have kicked us out right away for that uh, because of COVID. And uh, I couldn't get him into any of his regular doctors or anything like that. Um, one day when I was work, I work at a fire department. Uh, my wife called me and said, "You need to you need to leave work and get Mason to the ER. Something something's wrong. I can tell. It's something's not right." So I left work. I got him to the ER. Come to find out that Mason did have pneumonia, just like me. He had walking pneumonia. My pneumonia was much worse. I was laid out in bed for about two solid months before I recovered. Mason had walking pneumonia, and he was still playing football every day, and he was totally fine. So, uh, we got, he also kept complaining about tingling in his legs and the doctors kind of just brushed it off. They didn't know what it was. Um, they gave him an antibiotic right away for the pneumonia. And then they wanted us out of the hospital as quick as possible. I got home and went back to the fire station. I was only away from the house for maybe two or three minutes. And Amanda called me back right away, frantic that, Mason was in a dead stare, drooling, and he wasn't responding to anything. Um, I thought maybe he was having a seizure of some short of some sort. Uh, I told her to call nine one one. I hung up with her and I turned around and sped home right away. Um, sorry guys, I haven't told the story in a while. So uh, I picked Mason up, got him to the ambulance as soon as uh, it got there, got him to the hospital. Um, they couldn't figure it out. They took us to Boise. Uh, we were stationed in Mountain Home at the time. And uh, they sent us home after that. He came out of the seizure-like state. The neurologist couldn't figure it out. They thought maybe he had a reaction to the medicine. Sent us home. The very next morning, he had another episode. Uh, we rushed to the ER again, did life flighted up to Boise, um, found out that he had a condition called acute disemaciated encephalomyelitis, which is basically, um, his, it's an, uh, it's an autoimmune disease where his immune system was attacking his brain instead of the pneumonia that he had. And, uh, he ended up passing from that three days later, he was brain dead and, uh, yeah, we had to take him off life support. And, yeah, that's where our hell began, really. Um, we had him buried in Buffalo, New York, where we're originally from. And, because uh, I'm in the military. And, uh, yeah, that was, that's kind of where our story in a nutshell of how, how misery started for us in that sense. So. Yeah, thanks, Chris. Um, I think your story is a, a 
just a great reminder to everybody that's listening that you're over two years in and you you've told that story numerous times over the first two seasons and the first few times we we cried a lot and then uh, I remember you saying many times that you're able to tell the story now without really being too upset at the moment and without the tears so much but yeah. again grief never okay. ends and yeah. it it can hit in different ways yeah for me right there I I remembered when I walked into my house and I looked in Mason's eyes and it was just a dead stare and he was like he was staring through me and I remember picking him up scooping him up walking to the front porch and you know, Amanda was frantic, but she was in the house on 911. And I, it was just that one moment of me and Mason, and I was holding him. And I just said, hang in there, buddy. You're going to be okay. Yeah. So I I, uh, I hadn't thought about that in a really long time. So. Yeah. But I'm glad I did. I'm glad I got it out. It's, yeah. Sometimes you got to get that cry out. So. Absolutely. Absolutely, buddy. So, um, Chris and I have discussed numerous times too, like, obviously there's a lot of similarities when you lose a child, uh, but we've discussed differences too that, and is it easier or harder to go through a certain way? Um, like I had absolutely no chance, Erica and I had no chance to say goodbye to Jameson. Um, it was just, it was literally overnight from... Um, 8.30 at night until 5.30 the next morning was literally all the time we had. And no clue that, again, flu symptoms were going to turn out to be what they were. Um, and so I have that regret that, man, he didn't hear my voice one last time. Um, Chris had almost a week in the hospital with Mason, so they had that chance to say goodbye, even though Mason was struggling so much. Um, and you know, I think, I think Chris and I are in agreement that neither way is easier and better. I mean, they both just suck. Yeah, they, they do. I mean, yours was instant. You didn't get that goodbye. Mine was long and drawn out and, um, it is so hard to decide the moment where I had to decide to take Mason off the life support. The doctors weren't pushing us, um, but at one point as a parent, you have to know that your, your son is not there anymore. Your daughter, you know, he wasn't there anymore. That wasn't Mason anymore. I saw his brain scan. There was literal, his brain had swollen, swollen, gotten so swollen that it wasn't there anymore. Um, It wasn't Mason anymore. And I couldn't, but you know, to have his body still there, his heart rate jumping all over the place up and down, because it wasn't getting any correct brain signals anymore. Um, it was just, it was very difficult too. So there, there was no, neither one of us had it easy in that sense. So Absolutely. So that, uh, that leads us into this season. Um, we, we want to review just how our summers have been, what we've been doing, and um, obviously focusing on our boys and our attempts to honor them through everything we're doing. Um, and again, that's one of the many messages that we want to get out is um, grief is awful and it's, it's forever. But Erica and I are committed to the fact that we, we don't want to be one of those people that in 20 years is posting on Facebook, how we still can't even get out of bed. And, we get out of bed. It's not easy. It's still hard to get out of bed every day, but we do. Chris mentioned um, just functioning. You, we can f- actually function on a day-to-day basis. And um, that's what we want to do with this podcast again is just we want to help ourselves function and take a few steps forward in our healing process. And again, if there's a way that we can turn our pain into a purpose that helps other people, then we're honored to do that. Yeah, 
definitely. I mean, it's there's got to be something more after losing our boys. We have to make sure that their their memory is one not forgotten and two has a purpose. And I think that's one of our other missions is to keep that that memory and mission going after the loss. Absolutely. So Chris, let's um, let's have you talk about your summer and um, you had. You've had some pretty big decisions in the last, what, six months, maybe even longer. And yeah. it's wreaked some havoc on your life at home. It's uh, and created a lot of work for you. And if you can, while you're telling that story, um, back it up to um, just review for people to your move from Idaho to Delaware as well. Um, and the packing process that we've yeah. talked about numerous times. Yeah, so when Mason passed away, the military has a program called Humanitarian Orders. Basically, uh, it's in order to like support families during extreme stress situations, bad, bad situations like what we had, the loss of a child. We were stationed in Idaho. We're from Buffalo, New York. Uh, Amanda and I in the depth of our grief at the moment when we first lost Mason thought maybe we need to move closer to home. Mason's going to be buried in Buffalo. Family can come down to help us. We can go help them. Uh, so we decided to apply for, and we got approved to move from Idaho to Delaware, uh, Dover air force base in Delaware. Um, if you've ever dealt with any kind of loss, when a lot of families and Dan can maybe attest to this is they take a while before they finally go through the person who they lost through their personal items. Um, for me, I had to do it pretty quick. We lost Mason in May and by July, the movers were coming and then we were moving in August. So it was a very stressful time. Um, packing all of Mason's everything that he owns up in about six or seven totes. Um, yeah, it was, it was super hard. Uh, we've got to Delaware. We've been here now for about two years. Um, for those that were listening last year, you knew I had orders to go to Germany. Um, those kind of fell through that happens in the military. Sometimes things just don't work out the way you thought they would. We were pretty excited. We were really close. We were within probably about two weeks of, um, well, probably within about three weeks of actually leaving and it just kind of fell through at the last minute and it is what it is. So, um, but with that, you know, one door closes, another, another door opens. I decided, uh, it's probably time for me to leave my military career. I'd been in, I've been in for over 21 years now and I, I've done my, my duty to our country. And I felt confident that I couldn't keep moving my wife and children anymore from base to base, especially after losing Mason. It's way too hard. So I, I applied for retirement. That's been approved. I should be retired and out of the military by next summer. And uh, yeah, so, you know, between the moving to come to Delaware, the packing and going through the stife again, while here in Delaware to go to Germany, it's a lot of stress on all on top of each other, you know, and there's a lot of a lot of planning in order to move to another country it's not like moving to another state or another city so there was a lot of planning in that um that all kind of just fell apart at the end and to be honest i mean it, it does stink but if any of you are listening have ever been been in the military you know that that is literally how it is sometimes it just works out like that it just doesn't work out the way you want it to um and i have no hard feelings about it i um you know i'm I'm glad to be retiring now and looking forward to my new civilian life adventure and going from there. So that's, that's well, should I go over the organization too? What do you think? Dan? Yeah, let's come back to that in a little bit. Okay. Um, cause yeah, so, I want you to, basically. I want to hear a little more. Um, cause one of the things that of many that breaks my heart for the Lapardi family is the fact that, yeah, they had literally a couple months before they, had to go through every ounce of Mason things. And yeah. then again with this past summer, even though 
a lot of it was already in boxes, you kind of had to go through it a second time to figure out what you're going to take to Germany and what you're going to leave. And then the whole, um, we're literally putting our kid in a box. And um, the other part, Chris, uh, when you're addressing that is, um, I just, it crushes me. I'm, Erica and I are fortunate that we have Jameson sitting on a shelf upstairs because we had him cremated. Um, We just couldn't picture, imagine him his body rotting underground. Um, so we're very fortunate, um, that we, we have him with us at all times still. And, uh, so Chris, talk more about your whole mental state with you were in Idaho and he's in where to put Mason and now you're in Delaware and then possibly moving to Germany while he's where he is. Talk about all of that. Yeah. I mean, there was a lot of mental strain, uh, a lot of mental strain. So the hardest first mental strain was after we decided that Mason was going to be buried in Buffalo. Um, we've, we've never been much of a family for cremation. We've always wanted to do burials and, um, but we knew we weren't going to bury him in Idaho. We had, we'd only been in Idaho for a year at that point. You know, we had no real ties to Idaho, no one to take care of him when we left or anything. So, um, we decided he had to be in Buffalo where all of our family is, all of my wife's family, all of my family was there. And, you know, that was the ultimate end goal for us to get back there. So, um, after his burial, you know, I visited his grave every single day for three weeks until we ended up leaving. And when I went back to Idaho, it was as probably besides the day him passing, it was one of the most crushing days because as a dad, you always, you want to protect your kids. And, you know, I felt at that moment, like I couldn't be there to even protect his grave. I couldn't check on his grave to make sure it was okay. You know, make sure it looked nice, make sure it honored him the correct way. So it was really mentally taxing for me. Luckily, a lot of my family members checked on him often, sent pictures of his grave to me and Amanda letting us know that he was okay. And, um, you know, it's still hard even to this moment as I think about it every day that I can't visit him every day. Um, and then, you know, when we moved to Delaware, we've been able, we've been fortunate to, the move to Delaware had worked in the fact that we were able to go back to Buffalo often. And sometimes we were going once a month, probably the first year we went once a month. Um, and that helped because we could visit often. Um, but the same thing, every time we left, it was difficult. And of course, this last time when we left, we thought we were going to Germany. So I wasn't gonna be able to visit them for, you know, probably three years until I came back. So really mentally taxing overall. I do have a huge sense of relief now that I have hit the retirement button. And I know I'll be going back to Buffalo. And I know I'll be able to go take care of him, visit him. Um, You know, I'm not gonna say I'm gonna visit him every day. But I will visit pretty often. Um, to check on him and you know for me that's kind of my um um you know when i'm at his grave there's this almost like this uh, electric connection i can feel his energy now some people say well that's just his body that's not his soul i get it but to me that's my son under there and i can feel the connection when i'm there so it's important for me to go as often as i can so yeah, it, it's hard every single time, and I'm excited to move back to Buffalo and have that chance to, to visit him whenever I want. Yeah, and we've talked numerous times about that connection and, and feeling si- presence and signs and all that, and yep. and uh, Chris and I are on opposite sides on that belief. Um, I want to be on his side, but I just struggle with it. Um, nope. But I think that's a, a, a very important point that we'll need to talk about another time of just – how do yeah how do you how do you stay connected with your lost child because just forgetting about them and packing them in a box and putting them in a closet is not acceptable in any no, way never. to anybody that I know who's going through the grieving process that so but how do we keep their memory alive as well yeah i mean that's Again, if you get a chance to go back to some of our other past episodes, we go into some of these things really deep. And we're going to bring them up again this this season as well. Um, but, 
yeah, it's it's difficult, and every there's no right answer really. To be honest with you, it's what feels best for you in the long run um, to help you get through those moments. And, and a quick short answer in that sense. Absolutely, yeah. Grief is an individual process that you can't do alone. Um, but so so well, Dan. Why don't you uh, why don't you jump into Jameson's joy? How how have things been going with that? Yeah. Well, um, I'm gonna actually backtrack and piggy off piggy bank off you. Because uh, we we made some progress, big progress this summer, uh, and it ties in with you. Of uh, Chris and Amanda weren't able to really grieve Mason before they had to move, and force were forced to go through his stuff. Erica and I put that off. We're again we're a little over three and a half years in. We put that off until I think it was last summer or maybe even last fall. We finally worked up the courage to go through his bedroom. And Reese, it was Reese and Jameson's bedroom. They shared it. And for two and a half years, Reese lived in the bedroom with all of his brother's stuff untouched. And we didn't like that, but we, we just couldn't deal with it. So again, I just I can't imagine what Chris and Amanda went through having to do that so quickly. Uh, but we, because we still had to force ourselves to do it, and there were still tears two and a half years in, and um, we thought we went through everything, and we thought we filled up that box, and we thought we closed the lid on Jameson, and stuck him in the closet, and there's still other places that we clean out, and it's like, oh, there's that blanket or stuffed animal or whatever. We're we still find stuff. Um, and each time we think we're done and we think, okay, we finally are through that stage of grief. And then this summer we decided that we were finally going to finish up a remodel of our basement that uh, we just never had gotten the stairs carpeted. And that turned into a complete remodel of the upstairs. We, we did entirely new floors. Uh, we, I say we, Erica, because I have vertigo, I can't look up. So my wife, Erica, she scraped the popcorn ceilings off of every room in our house. Um, I, I did the sanding part, uh, but then she's doing all the painting because I'll be dizzy if I do that. Uh, but we, we renovated our entire house. And to do the floors, you have to pack everything up, and it's like you're moving houses again. And so we went through everything again, and we found numerous things of Jameson's tucked in different closets and other boxes that we thought were Reese's and whatever. So we, we reopened that part of our life that we thought we had closed. And that's always a mixed bag because you have, you have the, the pleasant memories of whatever the keepsakes are that you're going through, but then you immediately have that overwhelming pain that there's not going to be another memory of any kind in that. So, um, we're hopeful now that we've done the whole house that we have finally at least closed that door that we've seen everything of Jameson's that remains. And next time we see that item, or if we decide we go through the box, it won't be that initial pain, which I think everybody would probably agree that the initial time is hardest for every, everything you do. Um, so that we feel great, um, that it's all done and we're through that. Um, it was also a big step because we finally now, it just, our house feels different and, and it's like we have a new house now. So hopefully that'll help us take a few more steps forward that, um, we, we kind of have a new house. And then the biggest deal of all is that, uh, Reese has his own room now. There's, um, other than board games, we have to go through the board games and pull out some of the games that Jameson loved that Reese doesn't. But other than that, that room is Reese's now, and he doesn't have to tiptoe around things. Uh, and we let him have full control over painting the colors, uh, and he picked a really bright orange color, and we put some shelves up that are, are really bright green, and, and it's a very colorful, bright room that real estate agents would have a heart attack if they walked in and saw that trying to sell it. But 
it makes him happy. And for two and a half years, three years, he wouldn't really use his room for anything. Um, as soon as we started really talking about it, and then as soon as we replaced the carpeting in there, he goes in there every day now on his own to do something. Uh, so that's that's a really good feeling that we've we've been able to make it so that he has a safe place that he can go now. Yeah, I mean, I, first off, let me say I've seen Reese's room in pictures. I like the colors we picked, by the way. I think they look pretty good. Uh, you guys did a great job in the house. And I will say that, um, you know, we talked about how I was moving a lot. I actually think I might have had it a little easier than you and Erica because you guys had to stay in the same house with the same memories of everything that happened. You know, it was almost like when we moved, we were running away from the bad stuff. And I don't have any shame in saying it like that. We had to get away from it. We couldn't, we couldn't do it. And I almost feel like you and Erica had it a lot harder because you had to stay there. You had your life established there. Everything was established. And, you know, I'm very happy for you guys, I guess I'm trying to say, that this is a new, fresh start for your family. And it's not in any way trying to forget about Jameson. It's it's just a fresh start overall. Yeah. So congrats to you and your family for the hard work. I did see that Erica was up on the ladder a lot more than you, though. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, with my vertigo, I would have fallen off the ladder and made it even worse. So... Um, but yeah, it is. It's a fresh start. And I guess just to warn pe other people who are newer on this path, it's um, there were there were some things that were really painful surprises that when we first started going through Jame Jameson's stuff and we moved his bed for the first time, we found a spot of his vomit on the wall that we, we thought we had cleaned it all up. And we had missed the spot. So, again, there's there's always those things that you just don't expect. And I wish I had advice for everybody who's listening and something great that can help get you through that. But just just be aware that it's there's going to be things for a long, long time, sadly. And I hate saying that. I wish I could be the bearer of better news. But there's just always going to be things that really trigger you yeah i agree there always will be um but learning those coping mechanisms that we've talked about in the past and that we'll talk about in future episodes as well to help you get through that you know uh, i'm sure i have no doubt in my mind that that was extremely hard for you dan and erica to to have to clean that up and to go through that again but um, you guys had each other and uh you know i know that you knew that you had people that you could reach out to if you needed to, if it became too overwhelming in that sense. So yeah, um, it doesn't make it any easier though. That's for sure. Yeah. And I just, I want to highlight, cause I know I'll forget it before we get into the foundations. Um, Chris and I both kind of hinted at it. Uh, for those of you who are grieving, you've, you've got to find somebody that you can walk with, that you can be open and honest. And it's not your spouse. I, most likely. I mean, you need to be close to your spouse, but you you and your spouse are going to grieve totally differently. You need to find somebody that's separated from the, the super intense emotional part of what you're going through that you can just go talk to and break down and, and walk through this with. And then the other thing that it, it hurts Chris and I every time we see it, uh, but it happens too often. Fight for your marriage. Um, it's, and we'll talk more about that, I guess, in another episode again. But fight for your marriage. We see too many people that the loss of your child is ruining your marriage too. And you've already lost your child. Don't lose your spouse too. And it's hard. But learn to accept each other that they're grieving and give a whole lot of grace to each other but fight for your marriage because sadly you're going to, you're going to get to the point where that marriage is the strongest relationship you have in many, many cases. And so keep it strong as hard as it is. And nothing to add on there. It's Dan said it all. We'll, we'll definitely, I know we'll talk about that this season for sure. Yeah. So Chris, um, totally changing the tone of, 
everything. Yeah. Let's get into the foundations. Uh, for those who are new listeners, um, Chris and I both, our families have both started foundations because um, we feel, again, I hate saying it because it sounds arrogant and prideful, I guess, but we feel str- like we're strong enough to do it. Um, but we want to honor our sons. We want to build their legacies, but we also want to help other people. And if we can do that through the work of our foundations, then so be it. If one life is changed because of what we're doing, then it's a success. So, Chris, with that, um, I'm guessing other than in your, your closest circles, you've got some pretty big news to share. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm excited. We're, we're finally approved at the 501c3 uh, Miles for Mason Memorial Foundation. It is all set, ready to go. There's one little piece of the puzzle that I should hopefully have worked out this week. Uh, Dan, you know about that, and that that should be the last little piece of the puzzle, and then we're ready to go. And our our foundation's goal is ultimately to bring ADEM awareness out, to um, let people understand what ADEM is, which is what Mason passed from. Um, And ultimately, we also want to start training some doctors, some ER doctors, some first care doctors, to look for some of these signs and symptoms. If that doctor would have known that, you know, hey, there's tingling in my legs, I'm not going to say that Mason would be here. I don't know. But maybe it could save someone else in the future. You know, if a doctor knows that, hey, tingling in the fingers, tingling in the legs and the feet, those are signs of ADEM. We need to get this person in for a CAT scan right away to confirm and if it is, we can start them on high-dose steroids to start reducing the swelling in the brain. So that is our ultimate goal. Um, we want to bring ADEM awareness to parents so they know the, the signs and symptoms and to doctors. And, uh, yeah, we're, we're well on our way. Uh, we're really small right now. I appreciate Dan. Dan is the president of our board. Um, and I, I truly, truly, when I say this, I appreciate his leadership so much because uh, I don't think I could have got this foundation up and running without his both guidance and mentorship and um leadership overall so thank you dan again for that and uh yeah we're 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 well on our way moving forward now yeah well there's definitely something to be said about learning from failures and sharing that with other people so that it can go smoother so um but yeah we're to give me some 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 good tips that he's learned from his organization jameson's joy and so how how about jameson's joy how that so yeah, we formed Jameson's Joy. It started out with a, a movement of kindness. Um, again, you can go read all about that on our website and other episodes. But our main focuses are now grief support and uh, families, just getting families connected and making use of the time that we have. Because in our story, you literally can have your life turned upside down overnight in uh what was that 10 hours i think if my math is right and uh so we want we just want to empower and equip parents to realize that every moment is a gift and and to use it so uh we chris and i are both excited to share as we talk about different things to share what we're doing through our foundations and uh again the ultimate goal is just to honor our boys and their legacies by helping other people and uh it's it is. It's truly an honor to do that. Yeah, folks, if you get a chance to go to Jameson Joy's website, wow, they're, they're an amazing organization that are helping so many people. Um, just a few things, like I, I know right off the bat, the, the biggest thing that stands out in my mind is the, is the Warrior Park that uh, Jameson Joy had built in honor of Jameson in your hometown and you know how you help the community with that and give people a place to go and have fun and spend time together as a family. That is still in my mind such an amazing feat for uh you know a small nonprofit to, to take up and i think that's an amazing yeah. job and it takes it takes loving people and a loving community to to accomplish everything so and uh we're uh, we're excited because sunday is our first meeting for miles for mason since the official nonprofit approval and hopefully with the the one last little piece working out this week uh, so yep. we we're we're through all the legal documents and all that fun stuff that uh, we're glad to be done with that, and we get yep. to now work on Amanda and Chris's vision 
and, and start crafting how they can go out in the community and make a difference. So uh, probably a lot of big announcements coming over the next few months for Miles for Mason now that everything's official. Yeah, we're, we're extremely excited. And, um, you know, again, I, I can't thank you enough. It's for those that have never dealt with nonprofits before, there's a lot of paperwork involved, a little bit more than I realized when I decided to jump into this. Um, and, but it's worth it. Like Dan said, it, you know, we want to honor our boys and remember them. And I'm thrilled to have this organization in Mason's honor. Um, I went to another nonprofit's talk about ADEM. Um, they deal with lots of autoimmune diseases. And there was a, there was an ADEM doctor there. And she said that our organization was the first one she had ever heard of. That was just ADEM only. And, uh, that means a lot to me knowing that we're going to be bringing a lot of highlights, um, in terms of that autoimmune disease and helping those who we can in the future. Yeah. And literally maybe saving a life somewhere. I mean, that's, that's, that's just mind blowing to think that literally you could save a life and maybe a life of a little kid. Yes, definitely. So, so, um, there was an interesting post I saw the other day from, it was from a business, but it works for nonprofits. So uh, Chris and I asked this a lot and we're going to start this season off asking again. Um, it's, it's hard to run a nonprofit and it's hard to make an impact in the world without people around you supporting you. And um, yes, that takes finances. We need financial support. That's not the point of this talk though. Um, little, this post I saw was little things that you can do that don't cost money to support your business, business friends and nonprofits. Um, if this podcast is something that you feel helped, has helped you before, or if you're a new listener and you're like, wow, yeah, this, it's given me hope or something, uh, just simply leaving comments on our YouTube channel and our Facebook page and any other social media platforms we put it on will help us with the way the internet works. It'll help us get more exposure and ultimately hopefully help us help another person. Um, so if, the, if, if you could leave a comment below in both YouTube and Facebook and wherever and just say whatever but tell us something that you learned tell us a tip that you heard that encourages you whatever it is ask us a question whatever but it, could you leave us a comment to help us build our exposure um, leaving reviews Miles for Mason and Jameson Joy both on Facebook on Google everywhere you can can you go spend a few minutes and type a review about what it means to you that we're doing this podcast or something else that we've done that's affected you. Uh, that helps us build our mission and, again, hopefully save a life somewhere down the road. Um, the likes on Facebook are great, but they don't really do a whole lot in terms of exposure. So we thank you for liking our posts or putting the care icon or the heart, but really it's the comments that drive exposure. So... We're going to keep asking you for that. Um, Chris, you want to talk about guests and yeah, that I mean, side of the things, the way they can help us? Yeah, so if if you're ever interested in coming on and sharing your story, by all means, hit Dan up um, on social media or on info at jamisonsjoy.org, or you can hit me up on uh, social media or chris at milesformasonmemorial.com. Either one. Uh, you're going to get a hold of us, and we can set you up and give you that opportunity to come tell your story. Uh, we have some people that we'd like to get lined up. We're working on getting maybe a grief counselor on with us this season and giving us some more tips and helping us through the process. And, um, yeah, I mean, that's that's the biggest is we want to give people the opportunity to tell your side of the story. But look at me here. I've, I've told Mason's story probably over 100 times now since he's passed. And uh, even today, you know, I had a little breakdown, which is okay. I'm fine with that. It, I actually feel better because I told my therapist the other day, I was like, I haven't had a good cry in a while, and I could feel it building. Uh, and I just needed that moment of remembering that to, to get that cry out. But I feel better because of it. Um, maybe you coming on our show and 
sharing your story, um, you'll get those emotions out that you need to. Sometimes they build up a little bit. And just being with two other guys that have been through it, we can help you through it the best we can. So yeah. uh, hit us up. Let us know if we can help you. If you'd like to come on and be a guest, by all means, we're everyone's welcome. Absolutely. And then the last one I can think of, um, topics for future shows and questions. If you have, for those of you who, whether you're grieving the loss or, again, if you're walking alongside somebody that's grieving, if you have questions, please send them along. Uh, Chris and I are honored to share our experiences, and um, we're honored to share the, the things that our friends and loved ones have done to walk alongside of us because that's a super important role that you all have if if you do know somebody that's grieving. So shoot us any questions that you have. If you have um, a future topic that you'd love to hear us talk about in great depth, let us know. Um, we'd, we'd love to consider it. And again, you're actually helping us take another step forward too because we're, we're farther down the road than some of you. We're not as far as some of you are, uh, but we're all in this together and the journey never ends. Yeah, and I would agree. I mean, there's definitely some guests that we've had on in past episodes where they're either, you know, they're 10 years down the road, they're 20, 30 years down the road. And boy, do we learn a lot from those people when they come on. So um, anywhere you are in the in terms of the grief, we're, we're all ears. We want to either help out however we can or learn from you because your experiences really help other people as well. So, Absolutely. But, and then right. the last thing, Chris, uh, why don't you share again just people that really need help thinking about hurting themselves? Yeah, I mean, if, if in those first couple days, weeks, months, it's very easy and I think it's very natural actually that you can contemplate suicide because you want to go be with your loved one so much. And you know, that's not the way to go. I hope you won't do that. We're here to help. If you need anything or you're feeling sad, um, you're thinking about suicide, anything like that, reach out to me, reach out to Dan, reach out to a counselor, uh, go to the ER, call the new 988 number, um, which is just like 911, but it's for mental health. Uh, do any of those things to get the help you need because you're important on this world and uh, we don't want that to happen to anyone. So take that opportunity to reach out to whoever you need to that you feel comfortable with to get the help you need. Yeah, and that's not grief-specific. I mean, that's anything. If you're having those thoughts about anything, please call somebody, call Chris and I. Um, we, we may not have experience in whatever struggle you're having but we will work our tails off to get you connected to the right person to walk you through it but yeah we don't we don't want to see anybody hurt themselves it breaks our heart um when when you lose somebody that you love so much like a child it opens your eyes so widely to all the other pains and struggles people have in the world and seeing people uh, hurt themselves just crushes us so please reach out so. definitely we're, we're here to help we're that's that's the whole point of this podcast is for people to help other people um, dan and i were not licensed experts we've just had the experience we've lived it in real life so uh but we're here to help out however we can so yeah so awesome well chris uh it's been awesome getting back into the swing of things um, just so everybody knows, we're gonna uh, we're gonna try an every other week schedule this season. Just uh, li life is busy, and uh, we want to make sure that whatever we're talking about is is high quality. Hopefully, uh, so we're gonna go every other week this season. Uh, we hope you'll join us, and uh, we are so grateful for those of you who have taken an hour of your time to listen to what we have to say, and. Uh, we're, we're honored. If it helps you in any way, we're honored to be able to do that. Definitely. Thank you, everyone, for coming. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We know your hour is important. This time is important with your family. Um, but we're here to help, so let us know. All right. So that'll do it for our Season 3, Episode 1 of A Father's Love, Healing Through Heartache. Take care, everyone.